Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. I'll read our teaching text for today. It comes from Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 37. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task to the good news of Jesus. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of the Holy Spirit who has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. And so, Lord, now I just pray that Um, we might hear that still small voice um, speaking to us. Holy Spirit, be in this place and um, speak life and truth into us. Um, Give us hope to walk into this week. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, it's it's daylight savings time. Um, This is the good one. Um, And this morning we were doing a little preparation, and we were going around trying to solve what should we do with daylight savings time. Um, the best answer was from Jenny, who just did the prayers, and she said, what did you say? Back. We should just keep falling back, just like every weekend. Okay, just extra sleep all the time. I love the solution. I love that the news takes up these debates about daylight savings time, what, what, what we should do with it. Um, and I've done too much research on this this week, and I figured it out in New York, we should, we, I'm officially on team permanent daylight savings time. It ended last night, so we should always keep it. We, I don't want the sun setting at 4.45. It always just needs to stay back. But what happens is, is anyone in the eastern time zone that's farther west, 
the sun doesn't come up until like 9.30. And so that's why they complain. And so anyway, I'm not here to solve it for you. Um, that's just my opinion. If you don't like it, at me. I don't know. Um, sunset is at 4.47 today, by the way. So good luck to us. Anyway, why do we care so much? Like, why this debate about daylight savings time? And ultimately, the reason we care is we all have relationship with time, right? Time is going so fast. Time is going so slow. The weekend is too short. The weekday is too long. I don't want to walk to the train in the dark. My sleep is getting messed up. When you're young, do you remember this? Time is so slow, right? Mom, dad, I'm bored. Why? Because time is going so slow. When you're older, time is speeding up, right? Time is the enemy. We live in New York with a scarcity of time, right? There's never enough time. And this week, we're, we're wrapping up the series, Good News Gospel. Um, and the last part of this series, this week and next week, actually have to do with time. And I want to show you this. The reason is, is because we, we live in a sort of in-between time and space. So here's where we've been in the series, and then I'll show you what I mean by this. Is we said in the beginning of the series that there's four chapters of the gospel, and we've been spending two or three weeks on each of these chapters. So we said that in creation, we were created by God to partner with him in creation. That inside of that, we were actually created for good, but something went wrong, the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world through disobedience. Right? And then the last two weeks, what we've been spending time talking about is this idea of redemption. And we really narrowed in on the cross and the resurrection as, as a way of redemption, that we have life through the person of Jesus because Jesus came in time and space, in, in history, in human history, two, about 2,000 years ago, and did something, right? He did something miraculous, right? He lived a perfect um, life. He died a perfect death. He rises triumphantly. We Christians are people who believe that that literally actually happened. And what that means is that's our redemption. And so I said before that time is so important to us. Why? And if I could sort of place us in, in this, I would put us in between those two words, redemption and restoration. The, the, the understanding of the gospel as, a, um, as a something in history is really important, but also we live with a longing for restoration or renewal. Right, And so that last part that we'll get to um, is really rooted in the book of Revelation. Um, I won't read the whole passage, but basically in Revelation chapter 21, it's a vision of the end of time. And it's Jesus sitting on the throne. He's the king. And he says, behold, I'm making all things new. Right, And so what, what we actually have is um, a security in redemption. Right, We say, um, I know what you did for me, Jesus. I believe that that covered my sins, past, present, and future. I believe that's good, and I live my life in light of what you did. Right, And so what, what followers of Jesus do is they say, you know what, my, actually my identity as a person is perfectly secured, and I have to keep rerouting myself back to that idea of redemption. But what do you and I know about ourselves? Don't you just feel a little discontent? Right? Like, yeah, sure, I, I believe that, but my life is still really hard, right? Or I have a sort of longing inside of me. I still know pain and brokenness and sickness. I know anxiety and fear in my life. And so what that could actually lead us to is to think, well, is this really good news? Like, is this ultimately good news? Because it doesn't always feel like that. But this actually helps us understand something. We have life through Christ, but we're still waiting for its ultimate fulfillment in Christ's return. And so maybe we could say it this way. Christians are people with a renewed relationship with time, and we'd say it like this. 
We live in light of Christ's work in the past, and we live also in hope of his future return. We live in between those times. And, and maybe, um, maybe a word I should have added here is the word patient, because uh, I'm, I'm not all that patient, right? In hope of his future return, patiently. And so, in light of this idea, this is what I want to do today, um, what do we do in the in-between? What do we do between um, redemption and restoration? And one of the beautiful things about um, the New Testament, and particularly in the person of Paul, is that's, that's how he's living. He's anticipating Christ's return, and he's telling us how to live in the in-between. And so I knew um, in preparation for this series that when, we, when um, we got to today's teaching, I said, I know I want to teach Paul, but Paul... Paul gets a bad rap, right? He's a little too intense, or sometimes he's like, you're like, wow, he's really gendered, right? Like, he, he says things like, okay, that's a lot, my guy. And so one of the things that I was doing in, when I looked at Acts is I thought, you know what? Where could we get Paul's heart? And so this passage is a little bit long. It's him um, with a church that he planted. Um, basically, what happens in the book of Acts is um, it's Luke and Acts. It's, it's actually um, one part, um, but it's, or it's two parts, but it's one book. Um, Luke um, is a very detailed, um, likely a, a physician or a doctor. He, uh, he says in, um, in Luke chapter 1, he says something like, I, I'm giving you an orderly account. And so he's saying, I want to make sure that what I'm writing to you, and it is pretty orderly and detailed, and then it continues on into the book of Acts. Um, the book of Luke is like life and teachings of Jesus. The book of Acts is like, here's the birth of the early church. And um, it follows Paul in these missionary journeys all over the, uh, the Mediterranean world, planting and starting churches. And in Acts chapter 20, he's going to a group of, uh, of leaders of, of the church at Ephesus, and he's giving them his heart. And I, that's why I just love this passage, because you see, yes, Paul is still intense. He's still himself but you're seeing his heart. So my, 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 my um, parts today are this. What do we do while we wait? How do we join in on this gospel work, ultimately, of renewal? And while we wait, I just have these three things. Truth, what do we do with this idea of truth? While we wait, how do we do deeds? And then while we wait, how do we become present? And so truth, deeds, and presence. So let's start here in verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Um, we jump back to that for just a second. Yeah, so still, you know, um, maybe this is written, it's hard to, to know. But maybe this is written 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe it's written 40 years after the death and resurrection. But Paul is still saying, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that what? The central message of the gospel, that they need to return to God in repentance and have faith in the person of Jesus. So in the in-between, Paul seems to continue to say there's a message about the person of Jesus that needs to remain central. And for Paul, it seems as though his sort of life mission or his life's goal is to preach and preserve the truth, right? Um, he mentions this in verse 30. This isn't on the screen. That some among you will arise and begin to try to distort the truth. And so he says what you need to do is you need to hold fast to that which is true. And so if you'd say, well, what, what is the church supposed to do modern day? What is the church supposed to look like? What are we supposed to do? And one of the major tasks of the church is to teach, convey, and model truth. And you would say, 
okay, well, do you, do you mean that's like a set of beliefs? Yes. Um, would, would you say that's like um, doctrine, right? Like, I think maybe a, like, a little bit allergic to like a word, like something like doctrine, something that's sort of set in stone like that. And, and the answer is yes, actually. And I want to contend with you that this is actually growing increasingly difficult and increasingly important. Uh, there's a writer by the name of Tara Isabella Burton, um, wrote a book, 2019, 2020, called Strange Rights. Did anybody read this book? No? It's, it's, it's a really fascinating book. Basically what she does in her book is, um, and I leave this book on my desk because I think it's really helpful to understand um, what she calls the new religious movements of the day. And she says that people are actually deeply religious, even if they don't call it that, and that these things are popping up all over the place. And so one of her chapters is on Soul Cycle as like a new religious movement, modern movement, right? This like this exercise culture that we live in. Another one is about the social justice movement and how this has actually become a religion in and of itself. One chapter is about Harry Potter, which is just awesome as like a magic and doctrine and all that. Um, but basically what she says is that these new religious movements are actually popping up and they're offering people what church used to offer people or what pe people think church used to offer them, which is this, meaning, purpose, community, and ritual. And ultimately what these are, are doctrines, right? And so here's what she says in the opening of her book. She um, uses this word um, remixed. It's um, people that are maybe religious who say that, that they aren't religious. But she says this, today's remixed reject authority, inst institution, creed, and moral universalism. They value intuition, personal feeling, and experience. They demand to rewrite their own scripts about the universe and human beings and how hum human beings operate. Shaped by the twin forces of creative communication, communicative internet, and consumer capitalism, Today's remix don't want to receive doctrine. To assent automatically to a creed, they want to choose, and more often than not, purchase the spiritual path that feels more authentic and more meaningful to them. And so let's just leave this there for a second. So she sees how um, feeling trumps creed in our culture. Um, how, um, this is so true of me, I want all the options, right? Don't narrow me down, don't, don't limit me, like give me the, the options, right? Um, authenticity is a major driver. And it's always easy um, with something like this, like a, like a cult, big cultural critique like this. Um, I do this all the time. I'm so guilty of this. It's always e easier to say, well, this is the cultural waters that you know, we're swimming in. It's much harder to look at something like this and, and gener generally more authentic to look at a cultural critique like this and say, that's true of me. That's, that could be true of me. So you look at this and you'd say, do I value my own personal feelings and experiences over a set of beliefs? Guilty, right? I do that sometimes. Do I often push back against people who have outright truth claims? Yeah, right? I'd rather, I'd rather have options. I'd rather get to choose, right? I'd rather get to, to pick and choose. Don't stifle, don't limit me. And I think this is a worthy description of how we engage with the world and how we actually want to push back against a, a set of beliefs. And um, there's a pastor in Australia, his name is Mark Sayers. He says it like this, we're drowning in freedoms, but we're thirsting for meaning. I think this is a really good um, description for us of um, how we desire to live, how we want to live. Don't tell me how to live. I want to be free. And yet, Oftentimes, we're given over to the other side of that, which is I'm desperate for something to come and fill me up and give me meaning and purpose. 
And so, yes, we're bringing this to the Bible's truth claims. And Paul is, that's why Paul is actually really helpful in our time. He seems kind of aggressive, but he's outright saying, hey, this is how you should live. You're living in light of the cross and the resurrection. You're longing for the renewal of all things. And I want to tell you in the meantime, truth is vitally important. What is truth? And so the major task of the church is in, in the in-between is biblical teaching. Um, I was recently listening to um, a sermon by um, the late Tim Keller. Um, his teachings always have a way of um, putting the gospel at the very center. And the sermon was about one of my favorite topics. It was about hospitality. Um, and he was talking about um, how the church can be a safe place for, for people um, on you know, the full political spectrum, um, from, from any walk of life, anything like that. And he mentions this passage, and I want to show you this as a way of understanding this idea of doctrine that I'm talking about. He mentions Hebrews chapter 13, and the writer says something very um, polarizing at the end, right? So here's what it says. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And then hone into this. This is really fascinating. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So he says, we should be a hospitable people. And then in verse 3, it says this, and and I'll I'll try to, to channel my best Tim Keller here. He says, do you see how radical Christianity is, right? Look how, look how welcoming and hospitable it is. Remember those in prison, right? There should be a care and a concern for us on those, um, on the social fringes, the, the marginalized, or maybe the best way to say it is social justice, right? Verse 3 outright says, like, that's what you should care about. And Dr. Keller says, isn't Christianity so progressive, right? Like, look how far out that is. Look how far we're willing to go. But then read verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Do you see it? Wait, what? Christianity is so, so progressive, social justice. This is how we welcome the foreigner, the neighbor, right? And then marriage bed should be honored by all. Oh, that's so conservative, right? This is so repressive, right? And I, I think that's, this is really important um, with the scriptures is we hold them up and, and we say, Wow, it's pushing on us in different ways, right? And, and what Tim Keller ends up saying in his, his teaching, which I, I just found so helpful, is he says, the truth of Scripture will always at some point offend your sensibilities because they transcend culture and time. And so the Bible wasn't written, um, I would say the Bible is a, a gift to you, but it wasn't written exactly to you, right? It was written to a specific time and a, a, to a specific place and to a specific people and the truths of our lives actually need to align to it, right? We don't get to just pick and choose, but we actually take the scripture and we get to say, you know what, actually, um, I want what God says is right and better and true rather than finding ways for scripture to just always come and join us and align with us, right? And it's, that's, not, that's not easy, right? I mean, even, even in reading that, some of you are like, ooh, yikes, you know? This, is a little, this, is, this, is, this hurts a little bit, right? But are we willing to align ourselves in that way to truth? And so let me just say one last thing here, and I'll, I'll move on from this point, is Paul makes a note um, that our, our doctrine, for lack of a better word, he actually uses the word, so I think it's, it's good to say, is that it should be both healthy and helpful. 
healthy and helpful. He says healthy over and over and over again. Um, he actually uses the word sound doctrine. He writes to Timothy and he keeps saying, you need to keep sound doctrine. Don't let somebody come along and distort the truth. And the word in the original, original language actually, um, it means, it doesn't mean sound. It actually means healthy and not diseased, right? Bad truth will mess you up, right? That, that, that will seep into your very bones and into your, your being, and it will chew up your spiritual health. And so you need something healthy. But also, and I really took this to heart this week, helpful. Like, is the truth of Scripture actually helpful to your lives? Like, how many times have you sat in church? I'm so guilty of this. Like, how many times have you sat in church and you thought, well, that was a very nice sermon. I don't know what to do with that. Like, it, it, it didn't benefit me. But look at what Paul says in verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. And I was like, Paul's so practical. I love that. Now I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up, right? Um, the, the language there is um, economic, right? It, it means it could pay dividends in, in your life. And are we letting scripture actually build us up in that way? Are we reading it and submitting ourselves to it to say, actually, this can refine and shape me, even if it hurts a little bit. Um, my son, um, he, he keeps getting these recurring ear infections. And so I take him to the doctor a couple weeks ago um, and um, the doctor, you know, says, like, here's this anti- um, this, these eardrops I want you to give, and then we need to run him through an antibiotic. And she says, you have choices. I was like, okay, just tell me what to do, you know? And she says, the first one is, is a much shorter. I think it's five days. Um, it's easier to give him. It tastes better, um, and it's easy on the stomach. And I was like, and the other one? Um, she said, the other one tastes really bad. Um, it's very bitter. It can cause an upset stomach. It's 10 days. It's hard to give it to him, but it's definitely going to work. And then I was like, I'm not the one taking the medicine. Give him the other one, you know? <laughs> like, it's not me. And she gave me the, the bitter one that upsets the stomach, right? And for 10 days, we gave him that thing, and it was tough. And he's spitting it out on his pacifier, and she's like, dude, you're destroying my soul. But he's better. And um, I don't have time to get into all of it, but you can go look at um, Ezekiel chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 10, um, there's these like prophetic words about eating a scroll. It's a very bizarre passage of scripture. Um, but in, the, in there, the, the prophet says, eat the scroll because it tastes like honey on your lips. And then later on it says, but it's bitter on the stomach. And what he's saying is, uh, what the prophet is saying is, is this is often what scripture does to you. Sometimes it just gives you hope and courage. It's sweet on the lips. This is the greatest thing of all times. And then other times you're like, ah, it's a little bitter in my stomach. This is a little bit hard to hear. This is a little bit challenging. All right, so what do we do while we wait? Truth becomes important. Let me cruise through this next one here, is that um, we, join, we get to join in on the work. There are deeds to be done in the in-between um, about church. And so here's what it says in verse 34. Paul says, you know, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul is saying, um, I'll just summarize this. Paul is saying this, um, the deeds that you do flow out of a life in communion with Jesus. The, the deeds you do flow out of a, a life in communion with Jesus. The church is called to good deeds. 
Um, we call it the work of ministry, to, to care for the poor, the vulnerable, um, to be agents of peace in the world, to uh, join God in co-creating. Or last week we talked a lot about this idea of flourishing. But the good of the church always flows out of unity and communion with Jesus. Um, Paul says, um, I'm going to Jerusalem, right? And essentially what he's saying is, is um, I'm, I'm likely going to have the same end of life as Jesus did. Right? It's an invitation into humility of suffering, likely embarrassment. Um, I, I think that I, did, I didn't go on and read, but I, Paul doesn't die in Jerusalem, I don't think. Um, I think history says that Paul died in Rome by beheading. Um, but basically what he's saying is he's, I'm probably going to face the same fate as Jesus. So I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is follow Jesus and um, let Jesus' way lead me. And so often we get the deed and the following confused. And so we need to actually do the following and let the deed flow out of the following. Um, Jesus says this, my command is this, love each other how? As I have loved you, right? So we're supposed to live in this world a specific way, but it's, it's out of a love that we have. And so we look at the person of Jesus and we say, I see your sacrifice. I see your care for the poor. I see your humility. Um, I see the way that you spend your time. And we actually align with that. And out of that, our good deeds will flow. We don't focus on the good deeds. We don't focus on the serving, but we actually just focus. My heart is in alignment with you, Jesus. And as I do that, I'm going to start to care about the things you care about. I'm going to start to look more and more like you. Um, I was with a group of college students earlier this week, um, and we're like in this um, circle, and I don't even know why they were asking me questions about graduating college. I had a horrible transition. Um, and I was like, what's your biggest concern coming um, out, of, out of college? Um, and they said, um, their biggest concern was making money. And I, I was just feeling a lot of empathy for them. And I, I, they said, what advice do you have for graduating from college? And I was like, ah, I have no idea. Um, and I finally, I, it hit me. I was like, I always feel like when I was 22, 23 years old, the greatest thing I did was get a good boss. And so I just said, I think the best thing that you can do is find a good boss um, and say, mentor me, teach me things, give me things. And um, it's not really all that revolutionary. It's I, I, really my answer to them was discipleship, right? F following, right? Because the deeds of making money and um, learning uh, proficiencies and work actually flow out of a relationship with a person. And I think that's ultimately um, what's important. So let me get to this last point here. Paul's saying goodbye to the, to the leaders of the church at Ephesus. It's a tearful goodbye. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to face prison, hardship. And while we wait, I can't help but think about how emotional this moment is, right? We're, we're not reading the whole book of Acts, and so we're kind of missing some of the, the heart here. But Paul has a particular type of presence with the church. Verse 36 says this, when Paul finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most, that word grieved there is like, they're, they're like sorrowing, right? Um, there's like a deep emotional anguish going on. Um, I was reading in this commentary this week that, that that word, what grieved them, is the same word um, earlier in Luke when Jesus' parents can't find Jesus, and it says they're grieved. They're worried about their lost kids. Um, what grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see him again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And so Paul is, is saying goodbye to these people. He started this church. Um, he, he's established leaders. He's, and, and he's saying, bye, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to see you again. It's this tender and heartfelt moment. 
um, and they, they kiss. And, and this would have been appropriate in this time. But I was, reading, um, I was reading further about this, and I just thought this was kind of funny. Um, there was a, a, a midrash teaching. A midrash teaching is like an expanded teaching on um, like a particular verse. And it said, all kissing is actually indecent, except in these three cases, the kiss of the high office, the kiss of reunion, and the kiss of parting. Otherwise, no kissing. Um, the point was that, that Paul loved these people, right? Like, I, I look at this, you read this verse, and, you know, you, you, you sort of get distracted by all of his truth claims and all of these things, and it's like, no, there was a relationship here. Like, there was a depth and an intimacy that Paul had with these people. And so my last point is just this, that the work of the church in this in-between time should always be a work from the heart. It should always be a work from the heart. And um, last night I was just praying. I was just like, how has this, like, how has this been true of like, my time in ministry? And it just hit me. I, I'll never forget my first Bible study I went to. I was invited in seventh grade. Um, I actually, um, it was at my friend's house. His name is Zach. Um, and I met, my, I met my wife at his wedding. Um, what would that have been? Fifteen years later. And um, my first Bible study I ever attended was at his house. And it was real. It was a real place. Um, his, his parents, I think, at that point were just finalizing a divorce. And it was like, I entered into this Bible study, but there was just all this real life happening. And here I am in like seventh grade. A year later, um, those guys graduated and, um, out of eighth grade, and um, I joined a second Bible study. And it was at my now best friend's house. And his family was always inviting people over to his house. And so I showed, up, I showed up to Bible study like two or three hours early. We'd play Halo, and I was just kind of like a part of this, this family. Um, and they have, I think they have eight children, five biological. They adopted, they, they were fostering, and they adopted. And it was just like, you're just brought into like the life of these people. And then I, um, I, I, I graduated from college. I, um, I joined an awesome church. I always, I always feel very lucky. I told you before, I had a really great boss. I always feel lucky. I had a lot of friends that went into uh, church ministry, and just didn't have a boss that would invest time and energy into them. And so in 2018, um, I had worked at our church um, that I was at before uh, for seven years. And um, the, uh, my mentor and the, the pastor of this church, um, he and I had been talking for years about church planting, what could be next. And I will never forget, in uh, early 2018, um, we sat in this coffee shop. Um, and we, we were in the corner, luckily. Um, and he was about to tell me that... Um, he thinks I should stay at the church and that I should take it over. And I, I told him before that that I was ready to go, that I was ready to plant a church. And we sat in that little corner in Kansas City in that coffee shop and just cried because we knew that that seven years wasn't for nothing, but that we were going to say goodbye. And we had shared a lot of life together. We had shared a lot of meals together. Um, we had brainstormed ad nauseum ideas about um, how to bring the community into our community center as a church. And what I realized is that um, over a seven-year period, that church became my family. And we were cultivating affection and care for one another. Um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives. Are you kidding me? Like, we don't just share in this gospel thing, but we actually get to like share in, in the life, like the, the real nitty gritty day-to-day stuff. And I just, this is, I, I don't have a point. I wrote the word faithful presence because I feel like in the in-between, what's our work as a church? It's that. 
It's just to show up. It's just to be where our feet is. And to me, if you want, to, if you want just my heart about um, who we are as a church or what I long for, reunion to me is um, successful um, when we're present with one another, where we can put off like all the, the later things and um, we can just like hone in right here. And I want you to know um, like this is a deeply personal work for me and my family. And, um, and just like from my heart, like meals together in our home, senses of grace and, and presence. Um, over time, I think that's what it ultimately means to be the church, celebrating the wins and the losses, praying for one another, saying sorry when we make mistakes and we do things wrong. That amounts to a lot. Learning to listen to each other's cultural come froms, visiting each other regularly, giving away our money to each other, I just think that these are all ways of saying, this is how I actually want to show up and be present to other people. And, and what that ultimately means is we're building a community of people who are just saying, I want to become present to you so that we might together find the very presence of Jesus. Like that, that's it. That's the, the faithful presence. That's the life together part where ultimately what that would amount to is Jesus honored. So those who have ears today, let them hear that. Let's pray.